Hello, my name is Charles Wright, and welcome to the Complete in Christ podcast, where we endeavor to fit the pieces of our lives together according to the Word of God. We've just kicked off this new series called Get Right Church and Let's Go Home, exploring the phenomenon where believers and non-believers have become disillusioned with the church because of their inability to reconcile their notion of what the church is and should be about with their observation of and experience with a local church body. In our last episode, we explored Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 through 25, and the scriptural admonishment to believers not to abandon coming together with other believers, what we would call attending church. In today's episode, we're going to begin exploring exactly what the church is so that we can better understand what the church should be about. So let's get to it. Now, before we get going, this whole series is actually based on a paper that I wrote for one of my systematic theology classes, and I want to mention the sources and reference materials that I use in preparing that paper and, by extension, this series. And I'll uh, also list them in the notes for the podcast so that you can go back and refer to them later. But there are six sources. Uh, The first one is The Church, The Gospel Made Visible by Mark Dever. The second one, The Christian Faith, A Systematic Theology for Pilgrims on the Way by Michael Horton. The third, A Theology of the New Testament, the Revised Edition by George E. Ladd. The fourth, The Reformation of the Church, A Collection of Reformed and Puritan Documents on Church Issues by Ian H. Murray. The fifth is The Moody Handbook of Theology by Paul Enns. And then the uh, sixth and final one is Zondervan's Pictorial Bible Dictionary, edited by Merrill C. Tenney. And one point that I will make um, before kind of leaving the references uh, is that while most of these books are academic books and, and very heavily academic books, they're, they are uh, steeped and deep in doctrine and theology and kind of uh, uh, geared towards a seminary audience. The book that's by Mark Dever, The Church, The Gospel Made Visible, is really an easy read that I don't believe was written necessarily for a seminary audience, but it's really accessible no matter kind of where you are, whether you are a seminary student, a a pastor, or just a a member of a church that's wanting to learn more and and to read more about doctrine and about um, theology, specifically systematic theology about the church. The the Church, the Gospel Made Visible by Mark Dever is a really, really good book. Now that I've taken care of that, let's go ahead and get into uh, answering the question, what exactly is the church? And when discussing the church, part of the problem lies in what exactly do we mean when we say the church? Uh, when I say the church, when you say the church, are, are we talking about, are you talking about, am I talking about a particular group of people, a particular location, or maybe even a particular denomination? And for this series, right, I think it's important to kind of just level set and for me to establish that when I say the church, right, it's not defined as simply the familiar gathering of people on Sunday mornings. It uh, is not the uh, human structure that is manifested by just kind of habit or tradition. Instead, uh, what we will kind of use as our definition of what the church is, is scripture, right? We will look to scripture to provide a working definition of the church. And starting and at least beginning to build that working definition, we want to look at Matthew as he records Jesus's declaration in Matthew 16 and 18 where he says, upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And the context, obviously, is, you know, Jesus has asked the disciples, what are people saying about me right in town? And they say, well, some say that you're a prophet. Some say that you are Elijah, come back from the dead. Some say that you're uh, uh, John the Baptist as well. And then he asks specifically, well, 
who do you say that I am? And of course, Peter responds that you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answers, you know, flesh and blood did not reveal that to Peter, but that his father in heaven did. And he then says, upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And when we see this, right, it indicates that Jesus is the owner of and the means of growth for the church, right? He's the owner of it because he says, it's my church, right? Uh, And he's the means of growth for the church because he says, I will build my church right upon this rock. Now, there's, you know, some debate uh, over, you know, what does it mean when he says upon this rock? There's some debate about what was Jesus talking about when he said the gates of hell will not prevail against it? Was he being figurative? Was he being literal and all those kinds of things? And and I think at least for the purpose of this uh, conversation, uh, those two kind of questions are neither here nor there, because what's clear from the verse is that Jesus, again, is the one who is building the church, and he is the one who owns the church, right? It's his church. In Ephesians, uh, first chapter 22 and uh, verses 22 through 23, Paul goes on to say, and he, God the Father, put all things under his, that's Christ's feet, and gave him, Christ, as head over all things to the church which is his, Christ's body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So we see very clearly that the church is the body of Christ and is filled by Christ. Well, this then should at least beg the question, who makes up the body, right? If the church is the body of Christ, then who actually makes up this church or this body that is considered the body of Christ? In 1 Corinthians 12 and 13, Paul explains that It is made up of members who have been baptized into one body by the Holy Spirit. So at a base level, right, we see that the church is built by Christ. The church is also filled by Christ, and it consists of people who have been baptized by the Holy Spirit into the body of Christ. At its core, the church is not a man-made organization. Instead, it is a phenomenon in space and in time that has been brought about by Jesus that represents a new community of the people of God, characterized by those who have believed in Jesus as their Savior and received his salvation. This new community of God, right, and we say new community, is is because it is a continuation of the people of God that's referenced in the Old Testament. As the community of God, it stands to reason that the frame of reference for the church's attributes would be related directly to the attributes of God himself, specifically when we think about the holiness of God or the immensity of God, the eternality of God, the truthfulness of God, even the unity of God as being three in one. Now, while some of those attributes are not perfectly or even consistently expressed in the physical kind of manifestation of the church, they are nonetheless a spiritual reality that results from God's declaration. God has declared certain things, and then the Holy Spirit is at work sanctifying to bring the church into the fulfillment of those things. Further, the church as the body of Christ, right, it does not exist in just a single time or a single space. It actually spans ages and it spans geographies, reflecting the universality of God. Think about it like this, right? The, the church is made up of believers who have lived before us, believers who 
are contemporary with us, and then believers who haven't even yet been born yet. And so the notion that the church is universal and that it uh, extends and expands beyond space and time is also kind of reflective of the character of God. This aspect of the church, right, as being universal, as being bigger than time and space, is borne out in the ways in which it is described in Scripture. For instance, the church is described, uh, as we talked about, as the body of Christ, Ephesians 1, verses 22 through 23, as well as Colossians 1 and 18. The church is also described as the bride of Christ in Ephesians 5, 25 through 27. It's described as a living building that we are all kind of living bricks being built together into a dwelling place, into a holy temple, into a dwelling place for God's spirit in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 21 through 22. Jesus describes it as a flock in John 10 and 16, where he says, look, I've got sheep that are of other folds, and I am calling out to them to bring them to me so that we can all be in one flock with one shepherd. And then uh, in uh, John 15 and 5, Jesus also describes each individual uh, member as branches that are grafted into him, into the one vine. These descriptions, whether it's the body of Christ, the bride of Christ, a living building that's being built into a living temple, a flock, a unified flock uh, that is made up of many different folds and branches that are grafted into the one true vine that is Jesus, uh, these descriptions cannot just apply to a single local church. It, 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 you can't take these and say, hey, look, this church that's just on this corner is the only one that fits these descriptions, or this church that's this denomination is the only one that fits this, or even this church that exists just in this specific time of history is the only church that checks off all these boxes. But only a universal church, again, that's expanding and, and spanning across time and space. And by space, I mean geography, right? It's not just here, but it's all over the world uh, and all time could fit this kind of a description of the church of Christ. The universal church has also been referred to as the invisible church, consisting of members only known to God and ultimately only will be revealed at the last day. This description creates a contrast between the universal invisible church and the local visible church that we kind of all experience and or are a part of. And herein lies the tension as those inside and outside the local visible church aren't quite able to reconcile how this body is supposed to be the body of Christ, the bride of Christ, a living building, a flock, the branches that are grafted into Christ owned by Christ, built by Christ, filled by Christ, they can't necessarily reconcile that idea, that notion, with what their lived experience has been sometimes within the local body of believers. Now, an understanding of the universal church is helpful in establishing the right context for our experience with and participation in local churches. A true local church is a part of the universal church, but no local church in and of itself constitutes the universal church as a whole. This may seem intuitive, but it actually begs the question of what it means to be a true local church. The church is not just a group of believing people that are coming together, like we said before. It has a purpose and a mission that is both inward and outward facing. 
The church is to be a place where believers gather to minister to each other in community and the launching pad for ministering the gospel to unbelievers. At the end of the day, the church not only ministers to believers, but it also produces believers, but not by its own will and its own power. In the same way that the church is created by Jesus, the living word, John 1 uh, verses uh, 1 through 18, believers are produced in the church through the preached word of God. There is no biblical church apart from the preaching and teaching of God's word in a manner that is faithful and consistent with the teaching of the apostles and the prophets found in the canon of scripture. The right teaching of believers in the church is vitally important to the maturity and to the edification of those believers within that church body. As Luke describes, the early church devoted themselves to the teaching of the apostles. That's Acts 2 verse 42. This resulted not only in right understanding, but also in right practice of the defining symbols of a true local church, namely the ordinances of baptism and communion. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Complete in Christ podcast. If you have any questions regarding this episode or series, you can send them to questions at completeinchristpodcast.org. Please include your name, where you're from, and the specific episode you're referencing. Also, please take a moment to rate and review the podcast. It gives us feedback that helps us to keep improving and provide some insight for those who may be listening for the very first time. Again, my name is Charles Wright, and until next time, be blessed.